1 Kings chapter 17. (laughs) Yeah, thank you. Now we started talking about Elisha last week and what he declared over Israel. I'm going to reread those verses but go on a bit further this morning. Elijah and his raising up to call a drought on the land. Now Elijah the Tishbite, who was of the settlers of Gilead, said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives before whom I stand, surely there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. And the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Go away from here and turn eastward, and hide yourself by the brook Cherith, which is east of the Jordan. It shall be that you will drink of the brook, which I have commanded the ravens, uh, and I have commanded the ravens to provide for you there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord, for he went and lived by the brook Cherith, which is east of Jordan. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning, and bread and meat in the evening, and he would drink from the brook. It happened after a while that the brook dried up, because there was no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Arise! Go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and stay there. Behold, I've commanded a widow there to provide for you. So he arose and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, behold, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, Please get me a little water in a jar that I may drink. As she was going to get it, he called to her and said, Please bring me a piece of bread in your hand. But she said, As the Lord your God lives, I've no bread, only a handful of flour in the bowl. And a little oil in the jar. And behold, I'm gathering a few sticks that I may go in and prepare for me and my son that we may eat it and die. Then Elijah said to her, Don't fear. Go do as you've said, but make me a little bread cake from it first and bring it out to me. And afterwards you may make one for yourself and for your son. For thus says the Lord God of Israel, The bowl of flour shall not be exhausted, nor shall the jar of oil be empty." until the day that the Lord sends rain on the face of the earth. So she went and did according to the word of Elijah. And she, he, she and he and her household ate for many days. And the bowl of flour was not exhausted, nor did the jar of oil become empty, according to the word of the Lord which he spoke through Elijah. And there are two parts to this story that we read. Firstly, Elijah is obedient He goes to a certain place and is provided for. And then when that provision runs out, God takes him to the place of further provision. In both cases, the important point is that God provides. But in order to access that provision, Elijah has to be listening and acting. I'll say that again. In order to access the provision of God, Elijah has to be listening and acting. For us, the two key elements in seeing God's provision are the same. We need to be listening and acting. These are the doorways to the place of faith. If we want to be in a place of faith, Listening is not enough. Listening requires action. Obedience is action. It's hearing and doing. Be hearers not only of the word, but doers also. 
See, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ. We know that. We speak that truth. I said it only a few weeks ago, Romans ten seventeen. If we want faith, you've got to be listening. For faith to rise in our hearts, for God's provision in difficult situation, whatever that situation might be, the first requirement for us is to be listening, because faith comes by hearing. So if you're not listening to God, you won't get faith. If you're not taking time to talk to him and to hear from him and to dwell in his word, faith will not come. And all you'll have is worry and concern to take you through the difficult circumstance. But when we listen, faith comes because we hear what God is saying into our circumstances. But it also says in James 2.17, faith without works is dead. Faith without works is dead. In other words, we've got to hear the word and then we've got to take action based on the word we receive. Hearing alone is not enough. Faith and action are required for our faith to become real. Faith and action have to work in tandem. And we'll see this more as we work through the passage. But if I believe in something without taking action... Is my faith real? What I believe is demonstrated by how I behave. Or conversely, my actions betray my true beliefs more than my words. If I say I believe in God but do nothing about it, where's the proof? If I say that that Jesus is able to provide for me, but my trust is in my, my bank balance or in something else. Where's the demonstration of it? Faith and action have to work together. I have to hear and I have to obey and do. And this is what we see with Elijah. He heard God's word and he obeyed. And the word that came to him, first of all, was to go to a brook. Not so complicated, is it? To go and live by a brook. Now that's the brook that he went and lived by. The very one. It's been identified as Wadi al-Yabis. Located between Israel and Jordan. Which feeds the Yarmouk River flowing west to east. Through the forested uplands across the desert of Jordan. And travellers have described it as one of the wildest ravines in the far, fertile crescent. So it's a very good place to go and hide if you don't want to be found because you've got people seeking you to kill you. It also had this brook running through it, which provided him with water, as God had promised. Just one problem, though. In summer, the brook dries up. And that's what we see in the passage. So in winter, plenty of water. In summer, Not so good. But Elijah heard from God and he acted. And he took refuge on the other side of the Jordan. Now going back to what we said last week about the book of Deuteronomy. It said if if the, the people of Israel were in obedience, the place of provision was the land. But we know they were disobedient and so God had stopped the provision of the land. So in this case, Elijah has to step back out of the land to receive provision. He's no longer in Israel. He's in Jordan. He's no longer in the area 
over which King Ahab ruled is outside of the borders. Now what about the ravens? Well, there's a dispute amongst scholars as to whether ravens were actually the the word that that should be translated here. The word that is in the the Hebrew is the word orvim, which with a slightly different vocalization could be translated as Arabs. So it could be (laughs) that it was Arabs who came and fed him by the brook. Well, that makes it slightly less miraculous, but it's still God's provision. You can take your choice. Ravens, Arabs. Another problem with the ravens um, issue is that ravens are unclean birds. So anything they brought to Elijah would be unclean, and that would give him a problem eating it. So there's a good argument for why it might be Arabs who came, but take your choice. So God was providing for Elijah via ravens or by Arabs. Whichever way, choose, um, because God, the important thing is that God was providing. Now, whichever you choose, God can use anything and anybody in our provision. I'll say that again. God can use anything and anybody in his provision. Where did the materials come from to build the tabernacle? Egypt. Egypt's gold. Pagan um, people giving, and God uses it to build the tabernacle. God can use anything and anyone in his provision. And God will do, if we're in obedience. You see, when we hear from God, the onus is on us to do something with what we hear. Elijah could have sat back in the land and said, well... I'm God's prophet. What could possibly go wrong? What could happen to me? God will provide for me. I don't need to take any action. I'm the Lord's man in this place. Elijah had to hear and take action. God spoke. Elijah acted. God provided. If he'd done nothing when he heard from God, he would have found himself... Either suffering in the drought of the land, or else he would have ended up as one of the prophets that Jezebel slaughtered. Either way, he would not have accessed the provision of God. He had to hear and take action. What has God said to you? What has God spoken into your life? What word have you received? What prophetic Instruction has God given? What has God spoken? What has God placed in your heart? What are you doing about it? We hear, we take action. Revelation is given for obedience. You see, a prophetic word is not guaranteed. It's not a, the Lord said this, therefore it will happen. When we prophesy, we speak possibilities only. The onus is on the recipient to hear, to weigh, and to act on the word received. God spoke. Elijah acted. God provided. The provision of God is worked out in our obedience. Faith. 
without action is dead. Elijah heard, he acted, and God provided. And so Elijah found himself in this brook in Jordan, being fed, being watered, until the provision dried up. But then, at that point, when the provision dried up, it didn't mean that God was no longer looking after Elijah. It was just that a transition had to take place. If we take it that the the idea that it was Arabs who were feeding Elijah, we could say that he moved from the natural to the supernatural provision of God. You see, as Tony Miller said, everything God transitions, he brings to greater glory. Are you going through a time of change at the moment? Are things in your world being shaken? Are things not as they were? Are the certainties being rattled? It's because it's a time of transition. Our our, um, country, our economy, everything is in a time of change and transition. But that which God transitions, he brings to greater glory when we go through it in faith with him. And if God is shaking your world at the moment, it's because he's preparing you for something greater, something better, something where you will experience more of his blessing and his provision. And so it was with Elijah. The provision that he had was removed, but only so that God could bring about a miraculous provision. And he commanded Elijah to go to Zarephath, where he'd be provided for. Now, where was Zarephath? Zarephath was the other side of Israel. It was in Lebanon, present-day Lebanon. It was next to Sidon. And you'll remember from last week, Sidon was where Jezebel came from. It was no longer, still not in the land. It was just in a different part of the pagan world that Elijah was sent to go to. And he was sent to a pagan woman. Notice in verse 12 she says, Your God, as the Lord your God lives, not my God, your God. She wasn't one who was in faith in Yahweh. She was a Phoenician widow. And not only that, she was preparing to cook her last meal so that she could then sit down with her son and die. Never be surprised as to what God can do and through whom he can do it when he wants to. You see, there are three problems with this woman that mess with our theology. Firstly, she's a pagan, a worshipper of Baal and of Asherah. How and why would God use her to fulfill his purposes? Weren't there worshippers in Yahweh, of Yahweh in Israel, whom God could have used? You see, God has a habit of using unbelievers to fulfill his purposes. A person's, where a person's at is not a problem to the purposes of God. In Isaiah 45, God talks about using Cyrus as his anointed. Cyrus was a pagan king, a brutal one at that. And God says, he's my anointed one. Where we're at is not an issue to God. God can use whomever and whatever to fulfill his purposes. And in this case, God chose this pagan woman 
to help Elijah. Secondly, she's a Phoenician. And we saw last week that the Phoenicians um, weren't really on good terms with with the people of Israel, although they'd entered into an alliance. She was a foreigner, though. Her association is with the people from whom Jezebel came. And naturally speaking, Elijah wouldn't have been wanting to go to Jezebel's people for provision, I'm sure, since it was her who chased him out of the land, pretty much. But he remained obedient. Do we put up barriers to whom God can or can't use in his purposes? Are there issues that stop us reaching out to this person or that person? Maybe even touches of racism within us. Homophobia. God can use whomever, wherever, and for whatever. I remember the first time going to India. I got to the departure lounge at Heathrow Airport. And for the first time in my life, I was in an environment where there were two white people and lots of Indians. And I felt decidedly uncomfortable. I felt completely out of my comfort zone. And I was reacting within to the fact that it was a different culture I was suddenly amongst. And since I was going to be spending the next two weeks in India, I had to deal with it pretty quickly. I came across racism in myself that I didn't even know was there. And God had to do a work in me very quickly because then I was going straight out to India from that point. What barriers are there within us? to reaching out to others, to seeing others being blessed, to seeing others being fulfilled. Maybe it's the poorer person. Maybe it's the richer person that we despise in our hearts. Maybe it's color. Maybe it's gender. Maybe it's something else. But nothing is a barrier to God. God can use everybody in every circumstance. Because he is God. Thirdly, she was a widow. Now there was no welfare state in those days. If you were a widow with nobody to provide for you, you starved to death. And this is how we encounter in this narrative, preparing to die. And if you're looking for provision to see you through a drought, the last person you would go to is a person who has no resources of their own. But God can use whomever he likes to bring about his purposes in our lives. He may use your boss, your friends, your enemies, your colleagues. If you're in God's will, a person's belief, race, social situation, economic situation, or anything else is not a hindrance to him. All he requires is that we listen and that we act in obedience. Because in our obedience, we can become a means of grace to others. And in the narrative, Elijah comes to this woman 
and sees her collecting sticks in order to prepare her last meal. And in what happens, he imparts faith to her. She's there one day at the gate, the city gathering sticks so that she can make a fire in order to cook a last meal for her and her son. Imagine the situation. Imagine you're there. You're at the gate. You're picking up sticks. And suddenly a foreigner, strange foreigner, comes up to you and says, Can I have some water? And by the way, can I have some of your last meal? I think my uh, response would be something similar to push off at that moment. Elijah was obedient. But in something of what he said to her, do not fear, go and do as you said, but make me a little bread cake from it first and bring it to me. And afterward, make one for yourself and your son. For says the Lord of Israel, the bowl of flour shall not be exhausted, nor shall the jar of oil be empty until the day that the Lord sends rain on the face of the earth. In something of what he said, he imparted faith to her that she was willing in the midst of her difficulty, in the midst of her facing her end, she was willing to grasp hold of something he was saying. And that willingness to grasp hold of it caused faith to be born in her heart. And she said, okay, okay, it seems senseless. You know, we've only got one meal left, but yeah, I'll share it. Who knows what might happen? Because she was willing. The miraculous provision of God was not there just for Elijah, but for this woman also. Something of his faith and confidence transmitted itself to her. And she became a recipient of the grace of God. And Elijah included her in her faith. And she became a participant in his miracle. Sometimes it's easier, it seems, for unbelievers to trust God than it is for believers. We put up theological barriers. God can't possibly heal me because I don't deserve it. Because healing stopped with the apostles. Because healing is complex and we need to be righteous to receive it. Or God won't heal me because I need to learn some lessons. But an unbeliever says... Oh, are you willing to pray for me? Yeah, okay. And, and the grace of God is there for them. Believers are often, unbelievers are often ready to receive the grace of God because they don't have baggage in this way. Turn over quickly to Mark and chapter 7. verse 24. And Jesus got up from there and went away to the region of Tyre. And when he entered a house, he wanted no one to know of it, yet he could not escape notice. But after hearing of him, a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit immediately came and fell at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile of the Syrophoenician race and she kept asking him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he he was saying to her, let the children be satisfied first for it's not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she answers and said to him, yes, Lord, but even the dogs under the table feed on the children's crumbs. 
And he said to her, because of this answer, go, the demon has gone out of your daughter. And going back to her home, she found the child lying in the bed, the demon having left. So this woman came to Jesus in this exact same area where Elijah was, Syrophoenicia, the same, same, same region of the country. And even though she's not a Hebrew, and even though Jesus says, no, what I'm doing is just for the, for the, for the Jews at the moment, she says, look, I believe that even I, as a pagan, am entitled to the crumbs that fall from the Lord's table. And Jesus said, yes. Who is willing? How do we know who is willing, who is wanting, who is ready to receive something from the Lord? There are people out there who are in need. There are people out there who want to touch. There are people out there who want to receive something in the provision of God in their circumstances, that they need to touch from the Lord, that they need to know that he is with them, that they need to know that he can change their circumstances, that they need to know so much of the love of God. And just because they're unbelievers at this moment doesn't mean that God cannot touch their lives. In the case of the woman, this woman with Elijah, because she was willing to take Elijah at his word, not only did she receive, he receive miraculous provision to see them through the drought, but so did she. And who knows which of our unbelieving friends might be in the place of receiving a miracle from God that will bring them to faith. Are we willing to reach out? Are we willing to offer prayer? Are we willing to say, here's some crumbs from the Lord's table that they might be fed, that they might receive, that they might be raised up to faith, that they might know that there is a God in heaven who lives and who cares? Are we willing to take that step and reach out? Are you willing to offer prayer to someone who is sick or distressed? Who knows what what God might do through you? And you can share the joy of God's provision with somebody else. Because the bowl of flour was not exhausted, nor did the jar of oil become empty, according to the word of the Lord which he spoke through Elijah. And I believe in this day, the provision of God is there for us, that God will see us through. But the provision of God can also flow through us. And the touch of God can come upon those that we know. And the grace of God can impact the lives of other people around us. But we need to be willing. We need to be obedient. We need to be willing to hear and to take action. The world is in a drought right now. But as we press into God, we can be confident of his provision. But he's looking for a people who are both willing, listening and acting. And as we listen in faith and take action, who knows what God will do through us and for us. Amen. I've really focused. I mean, I know this story very well, and it is Ravens, because otherwise the song doesn't work. Okay, just so that you know that. And I sang it to Rich yesterday to prove it. Anyway.
the, the verse I am home. Oh, I'm not going to sing it. I might be humming it while we do the while we do the buffet. Uh, the verse that um, God has really laid on my heart, which is really spoken to me this morning, is when Elijah said to the lady, "Don't be afraid. Go home." Verse thirteen. Go home and do as you have uh, as you have said, but first make a small cake of bread for me uh, from what you have and bring it to me, and then make something for yourself and your son. What he didn't say was make up the whole um, quantity and divide it by three, so you make sure you've got what you need. What he said was make mine, and then go and make your your you and your sons. And I feel that sometimes when God is asking us to do something, we say, well, hang on a minute, Lord. I just need to get everything sorted. I need to have everything in place. I haven't quite got enough money this month to see us through to to bless that person. I haven't got enough qualifications to get that job. So I'm not going to step out in faith yet. I'll just need a, a bit more time. I need a bit more. And we keep saying, not quite yet. Not quite yet. And God is saying, you've got to step out in faith. I'm asking you, and I will provide. And I don't want you to make something up and divide it by three to make sure you're okay. I want you to go, step out, get that thing that I'm asking you to do. Go and bless that person. It may be time, but God is asking us to do things. And he says, don't look to yourself to see if you're okay first before doing what I've called you to do. I want to encourage, just as we close, just to be listening this week. To be listening. Lord, what would you have me do? Who would you have me bless? How can I reach out? How can I bring your grace into the life of those that you love around me? Whoever they are. Father, I pray that you will give us wisdom. And that you will bring us revelation. And that, Lord God, you will help us to take action. When that revelation comes. That we might indeed be a blessing in the land where you have placed us. Thank you, Lord. Amen.